0: Now it's working. We're recording?
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: We failed successfully.
1: Zero success.
0: Why won't you listen to the podcast, Chandler?
1: I don't want to hear my voice.
0: I mean, I don't either, but someone has to edit. That's true. As long as I get one person to, uh, to listen to it.
1: If anything, you should get Nick to listen to it.
0: Yeah, but it's Nick. That's true. He's busy. Well,
1: now that he's finished Meaning of Death, he should have a lot more time. Have
0: you actually finished that? No. <laughs> so we finally we we kind of redecided on a name
1: of the podcast
0: of the podcast. Which is split take. It is split take.
1: It's good. So uh,
0: why is that good though?
1: Why is that good? Cuz I don't even know what the podcast is called before.
0: I think I, I think I was just going to go with hot take. Oh, that's good. And force the other podcast to get a name.
1: But what if we both agree?
0: What do you mean? Oh, oh, yeah.
1: What if if we both agree on the take? Then it's a room temperature take.
0: I suppose. But what if what if we're not split in our takes?
1: Then this would be boring.
0: We could be unified in our takes. That's
1: true. We are already unified in the in the sense that we both hate the French.
0: Well, yes, but I, I still think some of our more interesting discussions will come out of. Those the films of the French new wave. Oh yes. I have no evidence to support that, but I feel like they're going to be interesting.
1: Yeah, they they will be something. That's what we're working towards.
0: We'll have fun. But are we split on things? Do we disagree a lot? Not really. Well, not really.
1: I feel like the ones we do disagree on, we disagree hard on. But then there's a lot of movies where we're both like, yeah, these these are pretty good. The Third Man, Blade Runner, most of the Coen's filmography. Portrait of a Lady on Fire.
0: It's also when we start getting into the ranking stuff. Yeah. That we get disagreements on. Like, you and I can agree that uh, Coen brothers, they're all yes. great. Yeah. But as soon as we start putting one over another and finding out which one's the best, then, then we have a problem.
1: This is true. But I will say, as far as film appreciators go, I think it's... The, the, you'll, you won't you will find two people in this world that are friends and also have Porcaroso in their top 20. Well, you might. I feel like that one is just a movie everybody forgets about.
0: It, or they just don't watch.
1: It's a really stupid-looking cover. And for the longest time, I saw it on my record store, and I just thought, that looks horrible.
0: And then you watched it.
1: And then I watched it, and I said... I sh- I I I shouldn't ever have opinions again.
0: You know, I'm really glad that we we both share that. We have that in common in our favorite movies of all time list. Oh yeah. Porco Rosso, Hayao Miyazaki, animated. Yep. It's wonderful.
1: I would say it's the best Miyazaki movie. I think you would say Spirited
0: Away. Well, let's not jump to conclusions here.
1: That's just one of the places we diverge here.
0: Yeah. Spirited way just happens to be my favorite. doesn't mean I think it's the best.
1: There's a good amount of people that would say it's the best.
0: Yes, it is widely, widely liked in that regard. I am
1: not that person.
0: I will say that we agree often, but when we don't agree, sometimes you just have the strangest opinions, and that's what makes you interesting.
1: I don't know what else. I don't know which ones I have that are strange.
0: Is this the time to get into this? Probably not. We go on for a while about, start listing the movies that over the years we've had arguments about. I don't even remember off the top of my head, but... Probably for the best.
1: I feel like Star Wars is a big one, but we'll get to that later.
0: Yeah, we'll get to it when we don't watch it on the BFI Top 100.
1: Is it not on here?
0: No, of course not. Good. It's the British Film Institute. <laughs> why? Why would they? Why would they have an actual movie on here? Speaking of the BFI list, I have a few things to clarify and follow up from one of the things i didn't explain was that the the bfi puts out a magazine sight and sound
1: oh yeah okay
0: you've heard the name of course and so that is where the poll came from sight and sound which is owned and sponsored by the bfi did the poll and it appeared in their magazine september 2012 issue the list will be labeled as like Sight and Sound Top 100 Movies of All Time or the BFI Top 100 Movies of All Time. And I feel like it's important to clarify that for people who are not too familiar that those are the same thing.
1: But BFI sounds a lot more official
0: than Sight and Sound. It does. But you know what isn't official that really bugs me about the list? Hmm. That if you go on the actual website, there are like five movies that when they do a tie, Instead of Mm -hmm. breaking the tie or telling us that there's a tie, they just number them the same thing. So there's like five number 54s and it just skips numbers and you're like, how did we get at this number? And it's just odd.
1: Yeah, no, it's not great. It's not great. I feel like you should just get a get a smaller subcommittee to judge which ones in the tie go in order. Because it's the top 100 and there's like 20 numbers shared.
0: Or just put them as like, number them all, one from 100, and then just put tie with the number afterwards or something.
1: Or say no to the entire list and just do it alphabetical order.
0: You could do that too. Mm-hmm. But what I have done in our episode order thing is I just took them in the order that the website gave them to me.
1: That's fair. That's simple.
0: And then I ordered them. I put 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 to 100. Mm-hmm. Whether or not some of them are tied, some of them are technically in the, the same place. Mm-hmm. But they appear elsewhere on the list for that reason. We couldn't exactly watch four movies that tied in one week.
1: You couldn't.
0: No, oh, I could. No, I, I definitely couldn't. What do you mean I couldn't?
1: Yeah, but true, true. He's a full-time employee. Of thefilmsync.com.
0: More like I am the the, the only employee. <laughs> <laughs> he's
1: he's the prime minister, I'm the vice president.
0: Yeah, uh, you kind of mixed up your analogy there. You you know what? Here's a better one. I'm the uh-huh. prime minister, and you're the queen.
1: Okay, that's, that's much
0: more clear. You add substance and culture, but you don't have anything to do with the running. And
1: Nate can be the secretary.
0: Uh, Nate, sure.
1: Yeah, why not?
0: Item of follow-up, number whatever, is in the last episode you may have noticed that there were quite a few swear words from Chandler.
1: And Jacob.
0: I didn't swear. I swear on special occasions. I'll do it. Oh. But not as much as you will. I will try to keep this to a PG-13 rating unless the film that we're talking about is impossible to talk about without a, a higher content rating.
1: Breathless. For the future, the way we'll label it is we'll put the movie title and we'll put a big fat F. So that way you'll know that, one, the F stands for f***, which we will be saying a lot. But two, it's there's a 99% chance it's going to be a French movie. So I think it uh, it works both ways. Uh, also, if I ever just like stop talking in the middle of a sentence and it sort of sounds like I'm drifting off, that's me just stopping myself from saying an expletive where i in any other situation would have said it freely but i then have to spontaneously choose a different word
0: what are you talking about chandler i'm just going to edit that pause out the audience That's will true.
1: never know but i did want to tell them
0: there, there were hundreds hundreds of edits in the last episode <laughs> made it made it flow so much better it was wonderful maybe i will leave in some of those pauses just to show the audience that you're you're trying you're trying real hard
1: i'm trying real hard Ringo.
0: I learned that Cahiers du Cinema, the the magazine that uh, Truffaut and Godard wrote in, they have a all-time film list. All-time? Uh, you know, 100 movies of all time. What That year? they voted on. What year know. did this
1: come out? Okay. Because was it Truffaut or Godard that didn't
0: like Citizen Kane? Well, Citizen Kane is number one. Is it? Okay. There are very few lists that Citizen Kane is not number one. The BFI? Yeah, Spoiler both alert. BFIs. Both the directors and the critics.
1: They are biased towards their own man.
0: You know, actually, I rewatched Citizen Kane three days ago. First oh, time really? in, in a while, yeah.
1: And how, how'd you like it? Or should we wait? Well, no. Well, it's going to be
0: a while. The, the general feeling I had when it was over... Because uh, obviously you're watching Citizen Kane, you're like, this is the best movie ever made. Mm -hmm. as voted for by many people over many years yeah and all i could think of when i finished it was well it's certainly not a bad choice
1: (laughs) well that's the thing is that nobody hardly anyone who watches it is like oh you know what you're right this is the best movie it's not going to be anyone's like favorite favorite movie some people's it is some people's usually
0: film nerds and
1: yeah but it's hard It's hard to watch it and then be like, there's no way that's the best movie ever. Even a small party has to be like, okay, I could see that. I could understand. And the more context you learn about it, the more you're like, okay, I can understand why somebody would think that.
0: It's kind of like, if anything has to be it. Yeah. Citizen Kane, no one's going to be up in arms. It's a safe choice. Yeah. Which is interesting that both lists did not go with Citizen Kane.
1: They were close, though.
0: Yeah, and it's not like it was a conscious choice. This was voted for, and it just happened. Uh, A film got higher.
1: Uh, I'm not going to spoil the end of this podcast, but...
0: We kind of already did.
1: Well, yeah. I will say, the number one film... uh, Let's just say when we get to that discussion, no matter how many times we agreed or disagreed, the term split take will come full circle. That's all I'm going to say.
0: and Kane is actually number three on the director's list.
1: What's number two?
0: 2001.
1: Oh, uh, okay. I guess that's Interesting.
0: okay. Right. The last piece of a little bit of housekeeping to do is that we have the Film Sync podcast coming out. And that's going to be with Chandler, Nate, and I. And that should be released by the time this episode is released. If you're listening to this, you should go over and watch, uh, listen to the first episode of the Film Sync podcast after.
1: Or you can pick up all of our episodes on a CD at your local Starbucks.
0: Are we going to do a vinyl episode? I would love a final episode.
1: All right, so the first movie on this list is Le Seven Samurai. Samurai. Oh. Oh. Well, I watched the wrong movie. All right, who's going to start? Cuz I feel like
0: Well, let's let's begin with a spoiler warning of sorts. Yeah. Of sorts. I mean, do do spoilers matter for something like this? No. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's my general take on that.
1: I think, as far as spoilers go, my typical rule of thumb is 10 years, and I think that's being generous, but most of this stuff is like 40-plus years. So, obviously, if you're going to click on, you know, a podcast talking about a movie that already came out, there's a good chance that we're going to talk about the movie that already came out, so... We'll say it anyways, but for future reference, yeah, they're all going to be
0: spoiled. I don't think we should necessarily have to say it every episode. I think if we get the precedent set now, that in general, we're just going to talk about the movies, and there might be spoilers, yeah, and there might not be. yeah, Um, And they probably don't matter, because they're all old, and they're all classics, and I don't think spoilers matter as much as people tend to think they do, but... So Jean-Pierre Melville's *Les Samurai* (1967). It is a movie. It is indeed a movie. that we both watched. Mm-hmm. What did you think, Chandler? I think general thoughts, and then we'll go in depth.
1: General thoughts. The only thing I had in my notes that I remember off the top of my head, because I forgot my notes at work, was the coolest movie ever made.
0: So, so is that you liked it?
1: Nah, I liked it a good amount. I think what I mean by the coolest movie ever made is that, you know, you got the the young crystal-eyed, sleek, badass dude in his nice trench coat and his fedora that he slides his finger across. And everyone's a criminal and there's shadows and smokes and nightclubs. And I just thought, wow, this is really cool. But I'm also 24, so I don't... This isn't my idea of cool anymore. But I will say... For a French movie around this time, I liked it a lot more than I thought I did.
0: I thought I would. I really like this film. Mm-hmm. And this is my second time viewing it. Uh-huh. Upon my second viewing, it has jumped up to a place of high regard in my mind.
1: Okay. Still not your favorite Jean-Pierre movie, though.
0: No, probably not. Probably not even... Oh, it might be the second. It might be the third, actually. It might just be that I have... Gotten a lot more cinematic education since I last watched it. I watched it early in in uh, college. Mm-hmm. It's kind of slow and very methodical, and oh, I'm yeah. not sure if I was prepared for that when I first watched it, but I was uh-huh. most certainly prepared for it now, and I thoroughly enjoyed every moment.
1: I would say, yeah, I would say just about every moment I enjoyed it. It's just the, I think the only problem I had was that I don't know. I wasn't too enthralled by the lead. I thought he was fine, but I didn't think he was as sympathetic as the movie might have suggested. But I will say this movie is like... It's, all, it's, it's almost a silent film. Just the way that it's all just the camera capturing the way Jeff moves and thinks and reacts to everything. Especially like the first like 5 or 10 minutes of this movie.
0: Oh, there's almost no dialogue in the first, the opening.
1: I don't even remember when they start talking. It's it's after he loses the or he drives off with the car. But I just thought there, there was just a lot of... Um, in that opening scene, oh god, there's just so many cool little... Just cool little just shut up and listen, look and listen
0: moments. It's the devils in the details kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The, the whole film. Thinking back on it, I have this interesting little exercise where it's like, what do you remember from a movie? And... In general, I would say that if you think back on a movie and you can't remember much, it's probably not a good movie. Mm-hmm. And if you can remember a lot, it's a good movie. Uh-huh. In this case, it's not so much whether it's a good or bad movie, but what I remember, I don't remember any of the dialogue scenes, or barely do. What I remember is the the actions and the gestures and the, the minutia of people doing things. Uh-huh those those images like stuck in my mind that's what i'm remembering and pulling from the film
1: yeah the little things like the way that he gets in the car and he and he puts the keys in the ignition one by one and just the sort of cuts of him looking through the mirrors or the rear window and trying and testing and trying and testing or the scenes where the you know the cops are bugging his place oh yeah just scenes that you're know, like you almost feel like you're there you know just sort of watching them do this.
0: It, a... puts, it puts the procedural... It puts the procedure in procedural. Yeah. It, it's very much about how people are doing things.
1: Because it really is light on plot. The whole movie.
0: Oh. Yeah. Anytime the movie is going somewhere, it does so very slowly. Oh, It's yeah. never in a rush to get anywhere. Even in, like, a chase... In, even in, like, the, the chase sequences.
1: Mm-hmm. Which where... are fantastic.
0: Well, I say chase, but he he runs for like five seconds and then it cuts to a a different, slower shot.
1: (laughs) The pursuit scenes. Yes. That that scene in particular I thought was fantastic. You know, cutting between the subway stuff and his sort of like just, just watching that cop get in the subway. And just the way the camera just sort of stares at him through the window as the subway starts to take off that whole time. I'm just waiting for the cop to maybe look back for a second and confirm Jeff's suspicions. And then it never happens. And it's just, it's a, it's a neat little way to be on edge with little to nothing happening.
0: That's one of the great things that I noticed in this viewing is all the little, the moments of almost like paranoia. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the film sparks a, a deep engagement. It's something you have to give a lot to get something from the movie. It's not a passive viewing experience.
1: Yeah, you definitely have to pay attention. There's
0: moments... There's a, there's a shot early on, which I, I really liked, and I wish they did it more, is he throws the gun off the bridge, uh-huh. and the camera rack focuses to a car in the background. Mm-hmm. This car is never brought up again. It's never anything. But the shot implies that someone is always watching, that you're always on edge of like, where is he making the mistake? Mm-hmm. Like, who is going to see him? Because everything so far, he, it, it's pretty, it's a flawless crime almost. Mm-hmm. Except for everyone that sees him.
1: <laughs> also true. Yeah, you know, it's a lot of, um, a, a lot of the way that the camera works is almost like it's through the perspective of uh, Jeff. Like I was saying before, the scene where he comes back after the um, uh, the cops bug his place, and his bird is a lot more erratic than usual, and he comes in, and the camera like looks at the bird, like when Jeff looks at the bird, so you can see him start to put two and two together, you know, and it's one oh, of yeah. those things that like you have to be just as um, perceptive as Jeff is, because if he didn't key into the fact that his bird was a little more erratic than usual and he wouldn't know that there's somebody else here, and he wouldn't know that there could be something that they left. And it's just it's just a very quiet, very attention-focused movie. And I will say it's, it's slow in a good way, but sometimes I found it to be slow in an unbearable way. Uh, lots of walking in this movie. Lots of walking.
0: Your experience with it will vary depending on how patient you are and how involved you are with the what little narrative there is. Yeah. And you brought up... I do think there's an interesting discussion to be had about the main character. You said that you didn't really connect with him as much as the movie maybe wanted you to. Yeah. And I don't think the movie wants you to. I don't think po- that's the point. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of... The, the whole film, the only times I noticed any kind of emotion coming from him was during the, the, the tailing and the chase. There's a little bit of fear I saw.
1: Especially when he's in the car for the second time.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, his yeah. eyes
1: in that scene are just... It's the most shook we've seen in the whole movie.
0: And then he gives a... He hugs someone. Was it his girlfriend or was it the... The blonde the woman? pianist. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember. But I remember he hugs someone at one point in the film. And that's the most... the ge- He's not... Like, his face is still kind of expressionless. But the, the gesture itself is the most emotive oh, yeah. we've seen.
1: He lets he lets himself open just a little bit in that moment.
0: But the whole the whole film he is dead-eyed, blank-faced, stiff body. He's like he's like a baguette in a trench coat, <laughs> and yet, like like a baguette, hard on the outside but strangely alluring. Mm-hmm. And you find out nothing about this guy, nothing whatsoever. And you really don't need to. This is probably one of the most opaque protagonists i've ever seen
1: and that that actor definitely resembles that sort of uh mysteriousness that comes with this character because i mean the old, he's his eyes are just icebergs nothing gets past him
0: his name is Alain delon um and he is actually he's on three movies on the bfi list so we'll three? be seeing we'll be seeing him again, including this one but mm-hmm. we'll be seeing him again Mm. I won't spoil which ones he's on. I'm very excited now.
1: Yeah, Uh, as a movie, I think one of the craziest things about him, just physically, is just how detail-oriented this movie is. And a lot of the times you're looking at this guy, his eyes are by far his most prominent feature. So when you look at him, nine times out of ten, you're looking at his eyes, and you're following his eyes to see what he's seeing. And obviously, you know... He he was cast for other reasons, but I think that it's an interesting um, sort of characteristic to have, a physical trait to have in a movie this focused on details and hidden little uh, objects and emotions.
0: Melville actually wrote the part for him.
1: Interesting. That that make so a the, lot. So the whole sense. film
0: was created around him.
1: Yeah, that'd make a lot of sense. He
0: has he hadn't worked with Melville before, but he had he does work with him afterwards on mm-hmm. other films. In the very beginning, so there's like this whole like routine he has and he puts on the trench coat and he puts on the hat. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that there's two moments I found kind of funny in the film, not quite out of place, but almost out of place. Mm -hmm. But in the very beginning, when he puts on the trench coat in the opening scene, there's a very specific ominous note that plays. Where like it goes to like a low note exactly when he starts putting it on. And I just found that funny. I noticed (sighs) it. And then the other thing is the at the pianist. Yeah. at her house, she has she gets the phone call from Jeff and she's in this giant white chair, and she uh-huh. swivels around towards the camera. <laughs> it felt like a bond villain moment of some kind.
1: <laughs> well, she was, she was uh, surprisingly devious. It's, it's crazy that a movie like this even took up
0: an hour and a half because it almost hour 45.
1: Yeah, the just really, really light plot. But it's well, it's still... a chess game.
0: Yeah. It's but... a cat and mouse game between the cops and the criminals, mm-hmm. and both of them are as intelligent as each other. Mm-hmm. It's nice seeing a movie where the criminals and the detective, all on their A-game, mm-hmm. and like everyone's paying attention to details, they're creating alibis for themselves, and then the, the detective is the way he goes about trying to prove that Jeff is the one that is guilty... It's just mm-hmm. brilliant, and it's nice to see that kind of tug of war between two equally opposing forces that are just as smart as each other.
1: Oh, yeah, especially the cop, because I love how the, the lead, the chief, if you will, mm-hmm. kind of knows instantly that it's Jeff. And you can kind of see him trying to hide that suspicion, but still very diligent and still very exacting on how he's going to do it, you know, attacking or interrogating each person one by one, trying to get a little piece of the puzzle all together. And I agree, it's it's nice to see competent criminals and police officers, because it's a lot more satisfying when one of them wins over the other, when you know it's a lot
0: harder than it would well, seem. at least Jeff and the detective are both... Equally as good, but it's the third party of the other criminals that kind of mm-hmm. get the ball rolling on the the problems.
1: Yeah, which you know, I'm almost it was almost disappointing that neither the criminal the Jeff or the cops won, but it was still a good way to end it. I
0: think. Here's my question for you: Why do you think it's called Le Samurai?
1: Because I think Jeff is just he is the the 1950s slash 60s french equivalent of the samurai he doesn't really have any loyalty to one side or the other he's kind of a a drifter a loner going in and out of other people's lives only really working to himself having his own little code of honor i i think that is just the samurai mentality and the samurai just aesthetic is just translated to a more modern day france Could have called it the cowboy or anything like that, but I think samurai. No, cowboy wouldn't work. I think I think what really hammers home the samurai theme is Jeff's like code. Yeah, he lives by his own code. He does everything in his own interest. He works only for himself. He lets other people into his life, but ultimately he still would rather be alone. Much like a samurai.
0: Well, I was thinking about the way that he has his coat and his hat. Mm -hmm. And I would have thought that the easiest way to avoid suspicion was after he had committed the crime, get rid of the coat and the hat.
1: Mm -hmm. But he keeps it.
0: But he keeps it. Almost like a samurai who, you know, the, the uniform and the code... Keeping everything the same and being mm-hmm. like true to that kind of core identity, that's everything. Even risking getting picked up by the police because he has his hat and his coat on. He
1: even wears it to the police uh, station.
0: See, uh, it, he also like he wears it in the exact same way. Yep. Never changes, always puts it on the same way. And it would be like, at least unbutton the coat or something. So oh, it's yeah. a little different.
1: He he recreates his exact outfit and looks straight at the pianist.
0: It it's admirable. It's like it really it's is. frustrating. You can get free; just take off the the damn coat. Mm-hmm. But the coat is cool, and I admire your persistence and just you're doing your own thing, and you're keeping to that code.
1: That, exactly. Not the pressures of of being arrested aren't going to stop him from putting on his fedora.
0: No, does not crack under pressure.
1: Nope. And that's admirable.
0: Yeah, there was a a line from the detective where he was talking to another cop and he said, There's not many people I haven't seen many people who stood up to forty eight hours of questioning or something like that. I just thought, well, if you bring him in, he's the guy who's gonna stand up to forty eight hours of questioning. Just gonna stare at you with those those dead eyes.
1: Yeah, he's almost like a he's almost not even a person. He's almost like he's just a ghost. Ghost living in his own world.
0: Yeah. I
1: think his la- his real lack of dialogue certainly helps.
0: In a film called The Samurai, it's fitting that it ends essentially with a ritual suicide. Yeah. Did you pick up that he was gonna, like he went there to die? Yeah, I think
1: so. It, it's sort of the thing that shook him, you know? The sort of thing that challenged his own morals and he thought, you know, or challenge his own code. and I, Well, actually, I'm not sure. I didn't get the sense that towards the end when he was about to kill the pianist, I thought, okay, I don't think he would actually do this. It seems a little out of character. It seems like he's a little overreacting. So I, I definitely was surprised when we saw that the gun was empty. But I'm, I guess I didn't entirely anticipate that was the reason why. It's sort of like when I saw it, I'm like, oh, okay, that makes more sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And having the benefit of knowing what was coming, there's little details. Like, I mean, the whole film is training you to look at the details. Yeah. And the things that I noticed very specifically were he doesn't, he turns off the car. He left the car running the first time. He leaves the, the hat at the, the hat check-in counter, the little ticket. Yeah. He leaves the stub there. Mm-hmm. And then he's much more blatant and obvious about what he's doing than we saw him before. Like. If you really think about it, it's almost too obvious that he's not there to kill her. Yeah, but he's just like he's just broad daylight sitting, putting gloves on, just stands there for like three minutes with a gun pointed at her, and they just stare at each other. It's just you're waiting for it to happen almost.
1: Well, me as a first time viewer of this movie, I definitely thought he was gonna kill her, but I guess going back, I I, I definitely feel like this is a movie that would only get better with rewatches just because of how detail-oriented it is. Um, But, you know, for a first
0: time, it was definitely very entertaining. I think that moment plays more as, like, as tension at the end of when is he going to kill her? Mm -hmm. Like, that's probably the more driving uh, force in the scene rather than, oh, when is he going to get shot? Like, I don't think it's it's meant to you necessarily. It works whether or not you can pick up Mm -hmm. on those clues Mm because it's still what is he going to do kind of thing.
1: Also a fantastic
0: score. Oh yes, you gotta you gotta love those those brass.
1: Very brass heavy. It almost kind of reminded me of a, a a Kurosawa score. Yeah, kind of. Kind of, oh, almost noir. But I definitely. That was one of the was one of the two notes I remember writing down.
0: It's French noir. That's what it is.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, there's so many shadows in this movie. Oh man.
0: It's beautiful. Oh, it's fantastic. Let's just get that out of the way. It's it, fantastic. They, the whole aesthetic is... The opening this shot. Is, oh, yeah. Just hid his room. <laughs> did you notice on the opening shot where near the end, it's like the camera repositioned itself a little? Mm-hmm. And then just cut.
1: Yeah. Uh, I it saw like it, it moved... a few times. Well, sometimes, you know, I, I can't help but think of the French New Wave and the jump cuts and stuff like that. Um, there's a few scenes where I thought, okay, maybe that was intentional, but then there's one, in particular, the subway station, where you see one subway exit the left side of the frame, and then almost immediately, a different subway comes from the opposite direction on the left side of the frame, but in between those, there's a little jump, so I thought, okay, this was just supposed to be them, trying to make it look like it was one seamless motion, but couldn't, but other times, I thought, okay, maybe that was intentional.
0: How? Huh. I didn't notice the subway thing, but it's
1: a little one. And the fact that it's it's a shot that's like 90% darkness makes me think that's what they were doing. So I don't know. Yeah, I never know with these these French low budget filmmakers. You never know how many permits they actually got.
0: <laughs> Just the aesthetics in general, of the whole film is some of my favorite mood setting things of cool tones, raining, big city, all that kind of stuff feeling alone yeah, in paris a big is city empty. is
1: oh yeah I was about nice. to say a lot of a lot of these shots like in the subway especially i'm like shouldn't there be more people isn't this one of the biggest cities in the world
0: paris is pretty big
1: paris is pretty big and it's definitely pretty busy i don't know if it was less busy at that time but i think the whole lonely aspect of it definitely plays into the whole you know french samurai thing yeah and it definitely felt almost more like a Like a fantasy version of this Paris. It felt dreamlike. Because a lot of it is during the nights, and a lot of it, even in the day, it's like cloudy and murky like when he goes to the car uh, garage. Lots of walking around at night. Yeah. There was no sun in this movie.
0: No sun. Always a trench coat. Always a trench coat. Can't not have the trench coat. I surprised myself. And I was also Mm. uh, a bit mad at myself, actually. Hmm. I attempted to watch the entirety of Jean-Pierre Melville's filmography before we had this podcast.
1: Before? Before. Before we even had the idea? Well, no,
0: before we we were recording now.
1: Oh, okay, yeah. How far did you get?
0: I'm disappointed to say that I didn't make it. Oh, damn shame. But I have two left.
1: How big is his filmography?
0: It's only like 13 films. Oh, it's not too bad. I started late. I only started mm, Sunday watching Mm -hmm. his films. If I started earlier, I could have I could have managed.
1: On Sunday, wow. Yeah. It's only four days of watching movies. Four
0: days, I probably watched nine. Oh jeez. Yes. It was it was great though. Watching the rest of his movies really perhaps gave me a, a much better appreciation of Le Samurai this time around. And just seeing his style develop over time. Because he's much more like a like what you would think of a French filmmaker in his earlier films. Mm-hmm. And the first one I actually watched was uh, Bob the Gambler. Bob? Bob the Gambler. Bob Le Fimbeau or something. Hmm. Anyway, the thing that struck me about that film was it was like the film was practically touching the French New Wave, but not. In what way? It, it, I almost recommend it to you because it's in every way it starts out like a typical French New Wave film would. Mm -hmm. and I was just waiting for the tropes of the French New Wave to to come in but they didn't. There was no jump cuts or anything like that. So Mm -hmm. you could tell it wasn't a part of that style Mm -hmm. but just like the stories and stuff felt very Godard Truffautian almost.
1: But how much cigarette smoke
0: was there? Well, there's a lot. It's it's a French film. There's always cigarettes regardless of director.
1: Most of the Criterions, Truffaut Criterions come with a lighter.
0: Do they? Yeah. (laughs) The other thing that really struck me was in his more, in his films after that, that was kind of like the midpoint of his career mm-hmm. where like before it, there was a lot of experimental stuff and more kind of classic French, uh, he was still finding himself. And then after that, all of his films, this is the category that "Lay Samurai is in are stylistically very similar to the point where he was almost making the same film over and over again.
1: You say, well, when you say stylistically similar, do you mean to "Lay Samurai?
0: Yeah. Okay, so lots of... Stylistically and narratively.
1: So, a bunch of slow movies is what you're saying. Well, to varying
0: degrees. But yes, the, the general emphasis on detail over plot, particularly what I noticed was almost every... Actually, no, all of them, they all have a super smart criminal lead, a super smart detective who is after that criminal... And almost always knows that criminal is guilty, and the ending scene of like his last five films is always the criminals getting shot always <laughs> it's the same <laughs> plot, and it's wonderful. <laughs> Those are the films I like the best
1: uh, when did he stop? When was his last
0: movie? I don't know I couldn't pull out the year for you
1: well that's that's what I thought was interesting is that this is the kind of movie that if you were to give this script to Godard, he'd make it just a, a movie that I'd end up hating. Because I feel like a lot of the French New Wave is sort of improvisational in a way that doesn't really grip me. But this was so precisely improvisational. It was very personal, but very deliberate. And I wish more of the French New Wave was like this. It's probably... I, does this even count as French New Wave?
0: No, it's not. It's a little later, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's contemporary, but it's not really a part of that stylistic movement because yeah. I think it's more—it's more about style over who and when is making it. Because mm-hmm. there's plenty of French movies that are made same time that are not New Wave films. Because it's more like the jump cutting, the kind of playful cinema, smoking—not well, playful. At I don't all,
1: know. Yeah, it—it it just seems like this is what. The, the the stuff that was set up in the French New Wave was was going towards. It almost seemed like a refinement of a lot of those tropes and ideas and styles and it was just Yeah it, it was just something that I enjoyed a lot more than I thought I would. And now I definitely won't see Jack Nicholson on the cover every time I see it.
0: That's good. If people enjoyed this film, the two other films that I really loved of Melville's was Second Wind, which has a French title that I again not gonna even try to pronounce, and then The Red Circle.
1: Oh, I didn't know he did The Red Circle.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, I saw that was on your uh, your watch list.
1: Yeah, I've been want to see that for a while.
0: Watch it. Is good. It's great. Same kind of, even probably more so. It's dreary, criminal. Is it a heist movie? procedural kind of thing? It is. Okay. There's a heist, a, like a forty minute heist. Two-thirds of the way into the film, spoiler alert, it's very much inspired by uh, Rafifi. I was about to say, is it? I think right? it was the same author, actually. the same writer. Don't quote me on that. That one, and then Second Wind. Second Wind was also a, a real big surprise. That one's two and a half hours long. Mm-hmm. Every second, I was just, what is going to happen next? Because they're always, they're just really... Is another procedural? Tight, procedural cat and mouse. Particularly the, the detective, the detectives are always some of the best parts because they're all, they're almost know-it-alls, mm-hmm. and they know it. And there's kind of their mustache-twirling detectives, but in a very subtle way. And it, it's real it's a, it's a joy to watch, even though it's slow, and dreary in like the aesthetics of the the films.
1: It just sounds like French High and Low, and I think that oh, sounds great.
0: Yes. The other thing, the one I didn't get around to. This is the the one rewatch that I want to do is Army of Shadows.
1: Yeah, cuz that's it's, your favorite.
0: Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think it will remain my favorite. My assignment or my I don't know how I should should label this is I at some point in the future, I would like you to watch it. Uh-huh. And we might pick up a short little discussion on your thoughts on Army of Shadows sometime later in this podcast whenever you get around to seeing it.
1: It's not on the list though, I assume.
0: No, it's not, unfortunately. I wouldn't be yeah. I wouldn't be doing this if it was on the list.
1: All right, no, that's fine. Bonus episode.
0: I'll probably watch it next week and see if, see what my rethoughts are, uh, my rewatch hmm. thoughts are.
1: How late is it into his career?
0: That's right after Le Samurai.
1: Okay, all right. Because I I thought there was something I just really liked about this movie, but I felt like it was the beginning of something I'd like even more. So I'm, now I'm curious
0: to see what that one would be like. It's just been really nice seeing, watching a director's filmography all together, kind of bunched up, and seeing the progression of how he went from A to B. And, of course, there are some outliers, which are really fascinating. But towards the end of the career, of his career, it's like he really refined it to the point that he was just making the same movie and over and over again, (laughs) just tweaking little details and characters. And they just
1: get, wait, and sorry, what was his last one?
0: His last, the last film that he made? was um, Flick, A Cop. Okay. I haven't seen that one yet.
1: I'm pretty sure the entire the Criterion Channel has all of
0: his movies. There's like a collection. Yeah, I... Is that what you've been watching him on? I have, yes. Oh, in the okay. in the show notes for the first episode, I put a the trailer they have, uh-huh. and obviously the link to Criterion Channel. Yeah. But they are all on there, and that's what I've been just going through them all on. And... Interesting. Well, then I definitely have to look at it now. I just set up my Roku. Fancy.
1: I had to buy it just because... I've been streaming from my PS4 and it doesn't have, they don't have a Criterion app on the PS4 yet, so I had Mm -hmm. to buy a $30 Roku just so I could watch Criterion's channel stuff in Mm. my room.
0: This film, Lay Samurai, is, at least according to Wikipedia, and I know it's true, but it's very influential. Yes. Can you think of any movies that are quite like this film?
1: No Country for Old Men. Yeah, kind of. That was the first thing that came to my mind, was a lot of that. A lot of the cat and mouse sort of thing. A lot of the darkness. A lot of the detail. A lot of the slower pace. As far as movies that come after it, I can't think of much else. Because I feel like a lot of movies that do this sort of thing, this cat and mouse thing, they sort of are a lot less subtle about it. Stuff like Catch Me If You Can or even like the Bourne movies. They definitely have this sort of uh, element of expert criminal and expert cop, but they just inflate it to larger than
0: life. The one the one main one that I knew was Drive.
1: Yeah, I I see Drive mainly in the similar
0: protagonists. Also very, very heavily leaning on aesthetics. Not necessarily the same like kind of mood, mm-hmm. but putting mood above a lot of other things.
1: No, I agree. And
0: nameless, very almost nameless protagonists, kind of faceless, kind of just blank slate Name, kind of people,
1: nameless, phantom, like protagonists that are the sole users or the, the sole people that can make their accompanying fashion work. Yes. And a lot of emphasis on a very unique type
0: of score as well. Yeah. Very similar movies, in that regard. No,
1: that's a, that's a good one. I agree. I, I wholeheartedly agree. I'm going to have to say that the Scorpion jacket still looks a little better, but I'd feel a lot more confident putting on the trench coat and not looking like an
0: idiot. Maybe for Halloween this year I'll go as Jeff Costello. Get a trench coat, a suit, <laughs> trench coat, and a hat. Nice and easy. No one will get it. Well, that's the
1: thing. that That is one thing that kind of bothered me about uh, the aesthetic of Jeff Costello, where I'm like, okay, this is like, this is... Th- Almost textbook cool. Like
0: if you were to type, where do you think textbook cool came from? That's true. That is true. (laughs) Not necessarily. The thing is,
1: you you put on a trench coat and a hat like that. There's a million things that people think you are. Oh, you're Humphrey Bogart in Casablanca. Oh, you're uh, any other number of detectives. Oh, you can be Scarface or something like that. But you put you put on that scorpion bomber jacket. And you are the driver. But you will also look stupid because you are not the driver. Maybe that's what works better with Jeff. Is that anyone could buy a trench coat. It
0: it could be anyone. It could be you.
1: It could be anyone. We could all be Jeff.
0: (laughs) We're all like Jeff inside.
1: There's a little bit of Jeff inside all of us.
0: Well, I'd be remiss uh, if I didn't tell you that Jean-Pierre Melville was in Breathless. Was he really? Yes. I didn't do enough research to figure out what he was, but I know it was just... He, he did appear in the movie i'm gonna, I'm gonna finish my my review my viewing of Melville's entire filmography, mm-hmm. but I think I can confidently say that he is my favorite French director
1: i don't I can't name any others whose work I've seen enough of to make that statement, but I do like this movie
0: It's good. I recommend the rest of the stuff, so I, I
1: will give it a look since it's on the channel.
0: But next episode, whenever that will be, is going to be Last Year at Bad.
1: I have never even heard of this movie. You,
0: have, you haven't you have heard of this film? I'm looking it up right now. Directed by Alain uh, Rene. I don't know. I've I looked up how to pronounce his name, and every time that I, I go to say it, actually really any time I go to say a French word, I always second-guess myself. I'm like, is that how you say it maybe I should should get French lessons just so I can pronounce all the French movies well it's
1: only 94 minutes
0: yeah short I've heard a lot of uh, interesting things about it and I'm excited to see it
1: oh no I have heard of this Okay, it won the
0: the Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival in 1961
1: oh well you know
0: it's gotta be good
1: only the best of the best movies win the Golden Lion Joker uh, other movies
0: I forgot Joker did
1: you know why it's called the golden lion why because they were lying to you about this movie being good
0: oh okay (laughs) i'm sure they get it right sometimes
1: i'm sure they do just not this year yes well
0: i'm looking forward to it and for as far as finding it you're gonna have a bit of a tough time it's not on the criterion channel you can of course rent it online from various places like youtube and google you can also, I believe there's a copy on Vimeo, just on Vimeo, online. Just
1: on Vimeo. Just look up,
0: watch Last Year in Maryabat, and there'll be a link to Vimeo and there'll be the full movie. You hmm. know, The quality's not perfect, but I think it will do if you really don't want to pay for it.
1: As long as it's not terrible.
0: There's also Canopy, the streaming service that you can hook up with your public library card if you have one. Oh! I don't, but
1: this will be a good reason to get one.
0: So if you have a public library card, you can sign up for Canopy and watch it through that for free.
1: Okay, I might just do that, actually. I feel like there's going to be a lot of movies I can get through Canopy on uh, this list. Maybe. I don't know. So I'll do some research before, but that sounds
0: good. Well, that's it. Any any parting thoughts about *Lay Samurai? One of the best
1: samurai movies I've ever seen.
0: Not, not one of the best samurai films I've ever seen, but... Well... Does it, well, here's a better question. Does it deserve to be on the top 100 movies of all time list?
1: Uh, I can can see how it is. I can see how it would be. Because I feel like this is, again, like I said, a lot of what the French New Wave is working towards. A lot of the sort of thematic and stylistic sensibilities of the French New Wave, but stripped away of all of its just snobbery an annoyingness. <laughs> so if this is just sort of the swan song for the French new wave and we can just ignore everything Godard and Truffaut did before that, then yeah, I'll say it deserves to be on there. I'll say 100 is like the perfect spot for it, but I would I could see the argument for putting it here.
0: Melville was a uh a uh he was a freedom fighter against the Nazis in France. Oh, really? Yeah. The name Melville, he liked the the author, Herman Melville, so he oh. took it as a pseudonym and then just kept it after the war.
1: Huh. What's his real name, then?
0: I don't know. He doesn't have one. Uh, true. Jean-Pierre Melville, that's his name. You need another one?
1: I mean, <laughs> you don't get more French than that.